0: You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. If you would please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And while you're doing that, I want to ask just a couple of questions that we are going to address here this morning. So as you know, we're going through Luke's gospel. And we are going kind of bit by bit through this. And there is a reason why. We're going to come back to this at the end, but I want to draw your attention to this graphic up here on the, on the screen. It says God's plan for salvation. The reason we are going through Luke's gospel, we're taking this kind of approach because this is what the text tells us. This is God's plan for salvation. So let me ask a couple of questions to you. And these are rhetorical right now. And I'm going to ask them again at the end of this message. Number one, do we find ourselves questioning our worthiness in the sight of the Lord? Do we hear the Lord? Do I hear the Lord? Do I truly hear the word of God? Do I believe it? And most importantly, do I trust it? So this morning, we are going to look at the account where Jesus is transfigured. He reveals his true nature. The title of this message is The Revealing of the Christ. So last week, Tom asked this question from earlier in, in Luke chapter 9, I believe it was verse 20. But it's an account where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And that was their answer. But Jesus asked them, said, okay, that's good. Who do you say that I am? You who have been following me for several months, possibly years at this point, in his ministry, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, in in Luke's account, it says, you're the Christ of God. But I love, and, and, and Tom even referenced this, I love Matthew's account of this, because in Matthew's account, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There is so much more depth to that. You are God's anointed one, and you are his son. But what Jesus said to, to Peter was, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't pull that out of thin air. You don't have a really good imagination. That was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. So we have Peter beginning to understand what Is happening here. See, we know with a lap full of Bible right now, or a phone full of Bible, however you do that, we know who Jesus is. We know that he is Lord. We know that he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. We know that. But in order to really kind of understand what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration, we need to basically put ourselves in Peter's place we need to look at it from James's standpoint or John's standpoint. Because he has begun to preach the kingdom of God. He has gone around and he has healed people. He has cured sickness. He has cast out demons. He has all of this authority. But they are watching and they're starting to see, okay, maybe this guy really is who he says he is. And the reason I say that is because When Jesus began his ministry, he basically pronounced to the world that I am the Messiah. I am the Lord, and I am the Christ. Let me read you, and we have it up on the screen, that day in Nazareth when he went into the synagogue at the very beginning of his ministry, he said these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So that was all the way back in Luke chapter 4. So Jesus came and said, this is who I am. I am the fulfillment of this right here. So we know this. You and I, In 2021, we know this. But, again, from the apostles' standpoint, they're starting to kind of put the pieces together. Now, a key moment in them learning his divine nature, and when I talk about his divine nature or his divinity, that means that he is God in human form. So we saw this a couple of weeks ago when when Eric preached it, Jesus is out there on the boat in the middle of uh, the sea. Wind, waves, everything like that. He got up and he calmed the storm. He said, peace, be still. Now, the reason this is so important is because his apostles, his 12, are steeped in Old Testament uh, knowledge. They were Jews, so they knew the Old Testament. They knew that in Psalms, and the prophet Nahum said, only one person can command the wind and the waves, and that is God. So they're starting to kind of put the pieces together. If you were to go to like an an art opening or um, something I'm a little bit more familiar with, the, uh, the Football Hall of Fame, every August they play in Canton, Ohio, They play the Hall of Fame game, and they have the busts of the people who are inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. Those statues are out there really for the public to see, but there's a piece of blanket or something that is covering it up, a cloth, something like that. So those statues are in everyone's presence all the time. We just can't see it. So when the time comes, there's a big ceremony, lots of cameras and, and things like that. And what they will do is they will take that piece of blanket or cloth and kind of rip it off. And everybody, you know, snaps pictures and claps and all of that kind of stuff. What they do is they reveal what's underneath. So that statue is in their presence the entire time. We just can't see it because of that cloth. So, the same type of thing is going to happen in this account this morning. Jesus is in their presence. Jesus in human form is in the presence of the apostles, as well as the multitudes, the thousands of people. But it isn't until he reveals his true divine nature that they finally start to ding, 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 light bulbs start going on. So let's look at this account. If you would uh, turn, you should be in Luke 9. Let's look starting in verse number 28. Luke 9, 28. And I encourage you to reread this this passage this week. There is so much to this. Uh, Eric was teasing me this morning. He's like, I don't know how you're going to get it all in. Well, we're about to try. So I encourage you to, to go and read this. For yourselves, it is it is chocked full of, of good stuff. So let me uh, go ahead and read uh, Luke 9.28 down through verse 36. Uh, Luke 9.28, there we go. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took up Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed... The appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened that as they were parting from him, that peter said to jesus master is it good for us to be here and let you make us and let us make three tabernacles one for you one for moses and one for elijah not knowing what he said while he was saying this a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son hear him and when the voice had ceased jesus was found alone but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. So this is the account of the transfiguration. This is where we see Jesus' true nature revealed. Like that bust at the Hall of Fame, they, Jesus took the blanket off, metaphorically, and showed his true nature to them. Now, Let's go back. There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm going to try to kind of stay on task here uh, because there is a lot that we have to go through. So, number one, he took three of his apostles with him. Now, again, you have thousands of multitudes. Those are known as disciples. A disciple is a learner. Then you have the 12 apostles. Those are the 12 that are chosen to be set apart from the rest of the group. Within those 12, you have the inner circle. You have Peter, James, and John. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw that they were allowed, Jesus brought them into the home of Jairus to watch his, essentially, Jesus' victory over death when he told uh, her to to get up and, and to walk. So we see that she was dead, and then Jesus brought her back to life. Now, we're going to see these three again at the end when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we're going to see Peter, James, and John listed specifically again. Now, what was going on here is he took them up there to pray. It says in verse 29, And as he prayed, his, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. Now this is the glory of God, the divine glory of his true nature. His face was altered. And if this sounds familiar, it should be, and and John, I love it when the Holy Spirit works when you referenced Moses earlier. In Exodus 34, the same thing that is happening here happened to Moses. When he was in the presence of God up on the mountaintop, his, sorry about that, his face became altered and became glorified. That is found in Exodus 34. But also what happened is his robe became white and glistening. Now this is just a, a, an emission of light, of true divine light happening here on this mountain. But then there were two men with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, why are these two men there? We're going to see Peter, just by looking at them, was like, that's Moses, that's Elijah. So why is Jesus there with Moses and Elijah? I'm glad you asked. Because, again, I want to draw your attention back to this graphic right here. The gospel according to Luke, God's plan for salvation. Another word that we could use is God's plan for redemption, the redeeming of humanity. So we have to look at each of these people individually. So number one, let's look at Moses. What does Moses represent? God gave him to him, the law. So Moses represents the law. The representation of the prophets is from Elijah. So we have the law and the prophets, which what we would refer to today as essentially the Old Testament. So when we look at the law, we need to understand that God has dealt with different people differently throughout humanity. So again, this is a very, very deep subject, and we could spend a whole lot of time on this, but I just simply want to say this, that God gave the law to, was it to everyone? No, it was to who? the Jews, the children of Israel, saying in Exodus 19, God said, if you do this, if you follow these rules, you will be a special treasure to me. You will be a nation of priests, a holy nation. If you do this, I am giving this to you as part of this covenant. If you do this, if you follow these rules, you will be in good shape. Guess who didn't follow those laws? The Jews. Okay. So God was dealing with his chosen people, the Jews, in the covenant. So that was one way. Through the prophets, how God was dealing with humanity because those Jews, hard-headed, they could not understand that they would follow this cycle. And it goes exactly like this oh, we got into trouble, Lord, come save us, save us. Lord would send a redeemer. They would get them out of trouble. And they would say, okay, Lord, we love you. We will never do anything bad to you ever again. And then, whoop, squirrel. There they go back and they would follow other gods. They would do all of this. And then that whole cycle would continue to repeat, 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 repeat. So God sent the prophets. Their message was very, Very simple. Stop doing what you're doing. Turn back to God. Period. Redemption is coming. Turn back to God. Guess who didn't turn back to God for very long? Give you one guess. So their message was very simple turn back to God because our deliverer is coming. Hold tight. He is coming. In other words, Repent, our salvation is coming near. Again, I point you back to this graphic. Salvation is now here through Jesus Christ. So, if we're to take this same graphic and apply it to Moses, God's plan for salvation, all we have to do is follow these laws that he gave us, and we will be in right standing with God. They couldn't do it. Same thing with the prophets. God's plan for salvation. Our salvation is coming. Let's repent. Let's turn back to him, and we will be redeemed. And now here is Jesus. Not just for the Jew, but he came for every single person on this earth. He came to redeem mankind, not just the Jew, not just the Greek, not just the slave, not just the free. He came for everyone. So again, back on the Mount of Transfiguration, you have three people. You have Moses, Elijah, and now you have Jesus. And they had a pretty wonderful conversation if you look at verse number where's it at? Verse number 31, Luke 9:31, "Who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem." Now that's out of the New King James Version. Your Bible may say a different word. If you have a different translation, it likely says Exodus, which is not reference to the book of Exodus, but the word Exodus. So in the New King James, it says his decease. Now, what we do is we often uh, associate the word decease with someone who is dead. So that's our Western minds. That's what we think of. But the word right here. Decease. It means his exodus or his departure. Now, this is going to encompass everything that he was about to go through. And I want to uh, draw your attention. Look down at Luke 9, 44 and 45. So this is part of what he is talking about. 44 and 45, Jesus says, let these words sink down in your ears for the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying and it was hidden from them that they did not perceive it and that they were afraid to ask him about this saying. I don't think that I have a a slide for this, but I want to show you one other spot. This is from Luke 9.21, if you just kind of go back just a little bit. Again, this is all about that, that one word, his decease. And he strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So Jesus knew what was going to happen. Moses and Elijah knew what was going to happen. But the apostles didn't. They're still trying to figure out, okay, this guy is truly divine, but I'm, I'm a little slow. I'm starting to kind of put the pieces together. This is also a reference to his transition, watch this, from his earthly ministry here on this earth, back to his rightful position, which is in heaven, where? Seated at the right hand of the Father. So this decease that they are talking about is from er his earthly home all the way up to his heavenly home. And the the key part of this, found in verse 31, his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, accomplish here in in this particular sense, means to fulfill to completion or bring fully to completion. That's what Jesus was going to do. He knew what was about to happen. Moses and Elijah knew what was about to happen. So for the sake of time, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of pick up the pace a little bit, and we're going to look at how Peter responds to this, because has anyone ever associated with Peter? Peter's hard-headed. He's uh, stubborn. Uh, so it takes him a couple times to get maybe just, just Tom and I. Okay, that's all right. So when we look at how Peter responds to this, so they went up to pray. Surprise, surprise, they fell asleep. I mean, deep sleep. They were out of it. But watch in verse 32. This is Luke nine thirty-two. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, that is very important to this story. Why? Because Peter wasn't having a dream. Like, oh man, I, I had this crazy dream. It was very vivid. Two other guys were here. Wow, I'm still trying to wake up. Where's my Folgers? I need to kind of get my mind working. They were already asleep. He is fully awake. He is within his his faculties. This is not a vision. This is not a dream that they were having. Peter saw with his own eyes what was happening. But when I talk about us uh, sympathizing with Peter, watch the next verse. Verse 33, then it happened as they were parting from him, talking about Moses and Elijah from Jesus, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. He's like, whoa, why are we here? Peter, James, and John, why are we here? You guys are all-stars, you guys are, I mean, the best. So he didn't feel like he should have been worthy of being around Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. But what he wanted to do, he wanted to bring tabernacles. Now this is kind of reading into the text a little bit, but some people believe that the reason he wanted to build these tabernacles was to prolong this event. You're like, oh, I don't want this to end. No, here, let's do this. Let me build this for you. That way you guys will stay. We can hang out and, you know, that sort of thing. But then what happens in verse number 34? While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. Again, this is found in Exodus chapter 40. We have this same thing happening on the mountaintop they heard the voice of God here in this cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. So we know that this is the father. This is the second time in the New Testament that we hear a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. The first time was when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist. When he came out of the water, The Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So we have this account. We know that this is the father. Now, the next two words that he says are very important. He says, this is my beloved son. Hear him, hear him. Now, we could take this one of two ways. Number one, shut up, Peter. Quiet, quiet time. Listen to what the word, the, the Lord is saying. Stop trying to make tabernacles. Stop trying to stop doing this. Just stop. Listen to what the Lord is going to tell you. Or it could mean you three, Peter, James, and John, Listen to the Lord. Heed his words, his teaching. Understand truly with your ears who my son is. He is salvation. He is redemption. Learn from him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Listen to what he's saying and heed those words and Eric and I were talking about this uh, earlier in the week, there's a bit of a pivot here in Luke's gospel, where, which him and I are excited about, where we lean more to the teaching side of things. The ultimate teacher is Jesus. Over the next several chapters, really through chapter 19, there is so much good teaching that Jesus gives us here in Luke's gospel. So... Again, kind of bringing this back full circle, what they saw was the divine nature of Jesus being revealed to them. Again, that NFL statue, they went up, took the the blanket off, they saw the statue. In other words, to put it back in this story, Jesus was there, he revealed his divine nature to them, and they, like I said, light bulbs started going off. He wasn't just a prophet. Some people just claimed him uh, to be a prophet. Some people claimed that he was just a miracle worker, that he was doing voodoo and magic and all of this kind of stuff. Some even claimed that he was doing these works from the power of Satan. But what do we know? He is the Christ, God's anointed one. That is who he is. He is the Redeemer. Salvation comes through him. He is the one to redeem mankind. So you may be asking this question, okay, so what? Right, Nate? So what? What does this mean? What do we learn from this? Well, a couple of things. Number one, our salvation is here in Jesus. It is his grace through faith. But this was God's plan from the very beginning beginning, was to redeem mankind back to himself. Not through the law, not through the prophets, but through the work of Jesus Christ. Again, I I told you, I asked these questions at the beginning, and I want to ask them again. Do we associate with Peter in this situation? Do we find ourselves questioning our worthiness of the Lord or in the Lord? Not of him, in him, saying, well, "I'm nobody. Like, why would the Lord love me? I'm. You don't know what I've done. Even since I've become a Christian, you don't know that. Why would He love me still? One word. Love. Grace." is the epitome of his love towards us. He's saying, I don't care how many times you've messed up. My love for you will not stop. I will not stop loving you. Salvation doesn't come through the law, didn't come through the prophets, but through the work of Jesus Christ. Lastly, do we hear him? The voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, hear him. Do we hear him? Do we truly hear the word of God? Do we hear it? Just, okay, check. Next Sunday, I'll hear it again. Do we truly hear it? But also these last two questions, do we believe it? Do I believe what it is that is being preached from this pulpit every Sunday? Do I believe what it is that I read? Or are they just words on a page? Because unless we have the right mindset, there, I touched it again, third time, okay. My hands are back here. Do we truly believe the word? Lastly, do we trust that word? If it says that he is going to love me regardless of what I do, do I trust that? Can I act in faith on that? When it says that I have been truly redeemed back to the Father, that I have a heavenly inheritance waiting for me, a spot in heaven reserved, Just for me, nice little nameplate that says Justin Patterson on there. Do I believe that? Yes, I do. Do I trust this? That's where faith comes in. I can't see it. I can't go up there and touch it or anything like that. But I trust that this word is divinely inspired and that I act on that in faith. Amen? Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.